I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Indeed. This week, Beauty by Robin McKinley. Great book. It technically does have a subtitle, a retelling of the story of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So. Just an FYI. Hey, for anybody (laughs) who doesn't know what this is about, there you go. Now you do. This book was published in 1978, and it was Robin McKinley's first book. No way. Yep. So we're going backwards because we just covered Here on the Crown uh, last month. This is officially Robin McKinley fall, and we are enjoying it. Robin McKinley is so great. This episode was a listener request. Thank you, Clarissa. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading this. Haven't read it before. And if anyone else has a listener request, you can get in touch at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. And when we are picking our books, those will be on the list and they'll get picked eventually. Someday. <laughs> we have a long list as we it's warn constantly, yeah. but we are continuing to work through it. So before we get started, let's do a quick rundown of how the publisher chose to package and promote this edition. We are once again aided by the stalwart Seattle Public Library, because I don't have a copy of this book. I don't think I've ever owned a copy. I'm pretty sure I took it out from my elementary school library. Do you think Seattle Public Library would partner with us in some sort of marketing endeavor? Yeah, what would that partnership be like? (laughs) We could put a flyer in their window. I think the problem (laughs) is the Venn diagram of people who listen to our book or to our episodes and go to the library already is a circle. (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point Um, not reaching a new audience (laughs) I really love this cover it gets at the gothic fairy tale within so well I like it a lot better than the audiobook cover that I listened to the audiobook cover has a pale woman holding a rose right yeah it looks very much like it was hastily thrown together yeah. for the audiobook mm-hmm. one of those types yeah. of audiobook her, her she's like strikingly gorgeous mm-hmm. so it's like okay well you know something really don't know who this is not yeah. the protagonist mm-hmm. that's for sure yeah anyways so that's that but this beautiful but this one that grace this. has in her hand we're going to talk about this one we have some really elegant script for the title beauty with a really magnificent bee. Oh, that bee is beautiful. And there is a, an enchanted feeling rose. Yeah. Um, it's got f- some gold petals, a full blossom and some gold sneaking through the petals and then just a backdrop of greenery and a stone wall. Um, I think it hints really nicely at what lies ahead. Um, and of course the rose symbolizes, uh, quite a few different plot points, but it is also compelling on its own. Mm-hmm. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover and just a warning. So if you haven't read this book before or would like to check it out again, um, it's a pretty fast read. Go and do that. It's a fast read. The audiobook um, is like seven hours long. It also, you may think that you know the story, but I really like the way McKinley presents it here. Um, so, I one might say that she fixed all of the troubling issues or most of them. Yeah, yes, and we'll go deeper mm-hmm. into those yeah, issues. Yeah, I have much to say as about we that. love to do. But first, Madeline, would you like to give us a plot summary of Beauty? Yeah. So, um Beauty, her real name is Honor, but she gets a nickname when she's younger. 
uh, of beauty. Her sisters' names are Grace and Hope, uh, and uh, they are both very beautiful from a young age. She uh, um, is more of a, uh, I don't know, I don't, she describes herself as not beautiful consistently and just like talks about the things that are like she's angular or she has too small. Like, yeah. Um, Mousy hair. It, she has uh, some acne, all things that don't make you not beautiful, but that's, it's more, <laughs> it's more about. Some would say just common adolescent traits. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's more about her conception of herself and yes. her feeling that she is unworthy. Yes. Um, that's what that's a commentary on because by the end it's obvious that she actually is quite beautiful. Um, she and her two sisters and her father have a, at the beginning of the book, a nice life in the city. He is a merchant ship yard owner. Um, very successful. Uh, one of uh, the daughters, Grace is going to get married to a handsome young captain who is uh, about to set sail on one of the ships or maybe just as a ship's hand. I don't think he was a captain. Yeah. I think he's just, he works for Mm -hmm. their their father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that man, unfortunately, Robbie, Robbie, uh, his ship is lost in the same season as all of the father's ships are lost and they become quite poor. Luck just really runs out for their father. Um, they lose all of their wealth and because he's not a good financial planner. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he said like large. he takes risks and uh, some of the risks don't pan out and those ones really come back to bite him. Uh, so they end up moving to the country because of hope who is another one of the sisters. Her suitor um, is a wonderful human being and just says like, Hey, I was planning on moving with hope to the countryside anyways, because I want to be a blacksmith. That's what I want to do. I think you all should just come with me because there's nothing here for you in the city. And I think we should just all stay together. It'll be better financially for everyone. And he is absolutely correct. Uh, good job, Jer. He really comes through in the clutch for them. (laughs) I I continually was just amazed by him. Yeah, he's really great. This woman's entire family Mm -hmm. to care for them and provide for them, and it goes really well. And because of that, yeah, a new little community with all of them. Yeah, they all live in the same house. Jerry's great. Yeah, Jerry is an example of just an awesome person and a really good young man. So they all move to the country and the father uh, goes on a journey. They're all adjusting to country life. The father goes on a journey um, because uh, one of his ships resurfaced and he's going to pick up the cargo, sell it, make a little bit of money, come back. On his way back, he stumbles across an enchanted castle in the wood when he was lost And the castle cares for him. He doesn't see anyone there who's doing it, but it's taking care of him. Uh, Obviously, some magic at play. The garden is full of beautiful roses, and he picks one because he wasn't able to find any rose seeds for beauty, though she asked, so he's going to bring her a rose. Womp womp. The beast does not like (laughs) that. that. (laughs) Gets really mad, tells the father he's going to kill him, um... The father is bummed about that, and uh, then uh, the beast says, okay, well, if you give me one of your daughters, then I won't begrudge you um, 
the rose and I won't kill you. And I won't hurt her. Yeah. He says, like, I won't hurt her. She'll be safe here. And the dad's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'll just like come back and you can kill me, but can I at least like take all this stuff to my family? And the beast says, okay. So the father goes home, he tells his family about this and beauty right away is just like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, sure. Probably has a great library. I love learning things. Um, she is really into Greek scholars and philosophy. And that is an undercurrent in the entire book that Mm -hmm. she's bringing up all of these, um, Greek themes, which is really fun. And figures that the beast and the different events remind her of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone begs her not to go, but she is just very firm. She's like, no, I'm going to do it. And because it would be stupid to let father die when he says like, I can just go live there and it doesn't sound that bad actually. Um, so she does. And uh, the beast is uh, very cordial to her. Um, the castle also continues to care for her. And she uh, takes, takes her horse along with her, great heart. And he's... Because this is a Robin McKinley book. So there's got to be a, a good it horse character. An incredibly <laughs> well fleshed out horse character. Yes. Um, she realizes that the forces of the castle that are taking care of her are actually invisible servants. Um, and she can hear them talking sometimes about some kind of puzzle or curse that she's supposed to be figuring out and they feel really bad for her because it seems difficult. Um, the beast tells her like, I'm a beast. I'm, I'm bad and ugly and I can't use silverware. And he's, he's pretty down on himself. But um, I can read books. Yes. Which to me seem like two activities that if you can, do one, you I can know. probably do the other, but whatever. He's obviously full of a lot of self-loathing yes. as well. Um, and he's been there for 200 years. Yeah, so he's going a little stir-crazy. Um, and from the beginning, he tells Beauty that she is beautiful, but there's no mirrors in the castle because he doesn't want to look at himself, so he can't prove it to her. Um she doesn't believe him, but they become friends. And every day he asks her to marry him from the very beginning. Yikes. And, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's part of the curse. I know, but yikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> After yikes. And, and at the very beginning and all through it, she's always just like, no, nah, nah, brah. And he's always just like, okay, don't, don't worry. Like, no is fine. <laughs> it really reminded me of from Princess Bride. Um, at the end of every day with the dread pirate oh. Roberts when the pirate good says work, to us, good night, I'll probably kill you in the morning. Have a good rest, probably kill you in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in this there is, like he's always telling her that she's safe and she does yeah. realize pretty quickly that she's safe. Yeah. Um, she becomes more magical as time goes on because she's tuning into the magic of the castle, which includes the library has books that haven't been written yet. So it has modern... And classical Dope. books. Yeah. And she's just reading them all. And he kind of tells her like, well, maybe stay away from those ones because they're pretty futury and yeah. it's probably going to like <laughs> break your mind or something <laughs> if you read those. Um, so that's what she does. They pass the time together. They go for a walk every day. Um, and and uh, she dreams at night of her family and her family, she finds out, is dreaming of her. And she talks to the beast about this. And the beast says, yeah, I'm sending those dreams to them because I want them to know you're okay. Up until this point, he's told her that she can't leave. And uh, then she has a vision after she asks him, like, okay, can we specifically try to look for some stuff of uh, Robbie 
who is safe and alive landing and getting to the city and saying like, okay, I'm Robbie. I'm safe and alive. But Uh, where's everybody else? Yeah. And she freaks out because she's like, oh, I saw in a different vision that Grace is being courted by this, like, fine, whatever, but not right for her um, minister, like, young minister guy in the town. And uh, if she feels like she's let him on, she'll feel like she has to marry him. So I have to tell her that Robbie's alive because she has to know and, like, maybe marry him. So uh, the Beast says, okay, yeah, I can let you go, but due to this magic and curse situation and stuff... It'll only be for a week, and if you don't come back at the end of the week, then I'll die. Um, So she goes. She sees her family. They don't like the beast. She does like the beast. She realizes that she's actually in love with him, and uh, then when she's returning at the end of the week, she gets really lost in the woods, and she can't find him. And then she finally finds the castle, and he is dying. And <laughs> because he thought she wasn't coming back because she got a late start, which was like, okay, come on now. Like, okay. And then he survives. Um, she tells him that she loves him and wants to marry him. Curse is broken. Uh, much jubilation. And uh, um, suddenly everyone that she knows and loves is on her way to the castle. It looks like it's going to be a... A triple, triple wedding. wedding. Triple wedding, triple baby. Triple wedding. Three times the wedding because she's going to marry um, the Beast, who she has to name because he forgot his he name. His name. Um, and her father is going to marry um, this lady that he's gotten close with who, like, they're good for each other. It's A cute. Yeah. And Grace is going to marry Robbie. And then, like, all the servants wake up and everything. Everyone's really excited. Beauty is like, what? I can't marry you. You're hot. And I'm fug. (laughs) (laughs) That literally is the conversation they have. (laughs) He shows her herself in a mirror. Surprise. She is incredibly beautiful. She accepts that. And they get married. Um just past the end of the book. Yeah, we don't see them. Yeah. We we (laughs) think it's going to happen. Okay. Summary complete. Feeling feeling good about that one. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Okay, so let's go into old and new impressions. And as Madeline has already mentioned, she has not read this book before. Um, I did read this as a youngin, and here's what I thought. So I... uh, I had hoped to go get a little longer into the episode before mentioning this, but we can't really discuss this without discussing Disney's 1991 yeah. film, mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. And that is a movie that came out when I was four and then was a huge part of my childhood um, and was my favorite movie for yeah. the time. I've seen it many, many, many Mine times. was The Lion King. Grace's yep. was Beauty and the Beast. Yep. And then Mulan came along and blew right. everything up. Right, just like, what? <laughs> we could have had this all along. <laughs> um, but anyway, for a time, it was Beauty and the Beast. And I had se- I saw that movie when I was pretty young for the first time, definitely before I read this book. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading this when young, everything kind of swirled together. Yeah. Because, as I learned much later, Disney lifted a lot of points from this book for their adaptation. Um, 
and there are a lot of really similar threads. Right, because, of course, the movie came out after this book, and very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Disney... Okay, thank you for saying that, because yeah. I I hadn't consciously thought it, but I was, like, comparing events in the movie to the book, and being like, oh, this is the Be Our Guest part. I know, <laughs> like, I know. Or when she spills birdseed on him from the window. Yes, there are <laughs> literally plagiarism moments. on the part of Disney. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they didn't even have to work that hard to write no. the script. The the mu- the Howard Ashman lyrics and the um, Alan Menken music in the movie are really incredible, and mm-hmm. that definitely yeah. was a lot of work. I don't mean to diminish that, but I think the story is so similar. And actually, the library stuff like yeah. that is also that's this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk about the origin of the myth, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this actually, I really love how much more agency the main character has in this book than in the Disney movie. And it's not a straight, like a lot of fairy tales. It's just an abusive relationship. And yeah. you, ladies, if, if you're it, people, human beings, regardless of gender, if you're listening to this, if someone is openly abusive to you, it's not... It doesn't mean love. It's not the start of your love story during which you fix them. They don't love you in the way that you deserve to be loved. You need to just get the heck out of there. The ticket for me, who had to learn that by experience, not but from, you know, someone on a podcast. <laughs> For what it's worth. But thank God today podcasts <sighs> exist and they can teach us these yeah. are truths. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to diminish that man's thing. No, you. no. I mean, um, I was just thinking that. And that's yeah. why, I, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, but. and here's the thing about reading this book as an adult versus when you are a youngling. Yeah. Um, it's easy to get very swept up in, uh, one, the beautiful writing because... Robin McKinley is so talented. Yeah. And even though you can tell that this is her first book, I would say, um, because it's just a little less masterful than something like, I mean, just last month we read The Blue Sword. Um, or but, like Spindle's End. Oh, God, Spindle's End. Yeah. Can't even, can't even the, talk about the that The writing right now. <laughs> in that is just otherworldly. And but, but at the same time, the source material and the context is much more simple simple and straightforward mm-hmm. um, than what McKinley is tackling in books mm-hmm. like The Hero in the Crown and The Blue Sword. And even though Spindle's End is also a fairy tale retelling, she makes that fully her own. Yeah. Whereas this is a pretty faithful adaptation in a lot of ways of the original story. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about the original story. Okay. Grace with the research. So Beauty is a retelling of the French fairy tale La Belle et la Bête, which was first published in the 1700s, um, in 1740, and was actually written by a woman, which Uh. is something that I did not know. Awesome. By Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. Well, there's probably a lot of things that were created by women that we'll never know because the historical record was changed by a man. Of course. (laughs) Or the women didn't want to identify as women because it's not a good idea when you're trying to write. Um, And the interesting thing is that she actually, she was a um, fairly successful novelist at the time. And she... Was she super wealthy? Was she like an aristocrat? And that's why it was... Um, 
And she must have had like a progressive family that. Yeah, she belonged to a powerful family. Okay. Um, and married into the aristocracy. Um, but, oh, within six months of her marriage, she requested a separation of belongings from her husband who had already squandered much of their substantial joint family inheritance. Six months. Jeez. Oh my God. And then he died when she was 26. Good riddance. Uh, <laughs> 1700s. Yeah. So much fun. Um, and the story is very in that sensibility. Like, well, that's why that's there's the such thing. a focus on marriage. She actually wrote a lot of her stories as sort of instructions for other mm. young women. And this plot was actually meant to prepare young women to marry into ar- arranged marriages. Interesting. And that's yeah. why it's about a woman being ripped away from her family and everything she knows and loves to literally go be with a monster in a completely unknown place where she has no idea what is happening and yet is expected to take care of the situation. Yep. Um, Ah, women's work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I thought that that knowing that, it, it all makes so much sense why everyone who adapts the book is tasked with this like truly creepy relationship at its center. And sometimes people, I feel, end up doing a lot of mental gymnastics to be like, here's why it's okay that they mm-hmm. end up together because it would be too much for them to change the story so that they don't. Mm-hmm. And something I kept coming back to in this book, reading it, at my age now was asking myself, like, do I feel okay with this? (laughs) Am I okay right now? (laughs) When it came to anything regarding beauty and the beast relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important change, uh, or really just characterization that McKinley worked in was making the beast sad rather than mad like he's so percent mournful and thoughtful and wistful it gives it kind of like a Heathcliff vibe <laughs> like it's he's very much you know just like wandering the moors he instead of flying into violent her. rages which in the Disney-fied movie the beast horrible starts out by like emotional abuse very real emotional abuse to the point of like almost killing Belle it feels like and multiple he's, times well, he's also physical with her and her dad at right. the beginning yeah. um, because he like from the start that beast is cruel and violent where this beast is accommodating and giving yes. and it, it does that also though brings up the other problem which is like well why won't he let her leave mm-hmm. <laughs> well and I mean that's that's the part that like that's the in crux my of own the head I was like well that's part of the curse yeah exactly. but in this and the it's curse more itself believable. is so fascinating too because in this version the curse is actually random that it came to him mm-hmm. because he didn't do anything to deserve it this, the curse was so funny to me, which yeah. we don't get until like the second to last page of the book. Um, and I don't think I appreciated it. It's humor when I was young, but his family was too pious yeah. and they liked kind of lording this over other they people. They were too like, smug. We're closer to God than you. Don't worry about it. And a magician cursed the family, but then no one ever did anything wrong. So the curse didn't take hold. Like I think the curse was that when someone would make some kind of misstep, then mm-hmm. they would be cursed. But then everyone was 
too good and godly. Yep. <laughs> and then he came along and he doesn't go into specifics of what he did, but he says the hunting party that's depicted on the silver door arch mm-hmm. at the entrance to the castle, um, which just shows like a hunting party gone terribly wrong, <laughs> um, was yeah. him. So we, we still don't really know exactly what happened, but. But it doesn't seem like it was something horrible, more no. just like some happenstance yeah and and we know that his portrait was very fiery eyed and intense and that he looked you know mischievous (laughs) so yeah we have all those clues but yeah he says he did that thing so then the curse took hold um and he couldn't have been a bad that bad a guy because all the servants who had been there decided to they wanted to stay with him they chose to stay with him they weren't imprisoned and kept there that was their decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much more active decision-making in this book than in the, the movie. Yeah. Um, like, Beauty has time and space to make her decision. Her dad comes home to her mm-hmm. and sits down and talks to his family about this, and they discuss it as a group, yeah. as opposed to her dad just disappearing and then her finding him locked in a, ju- a dungeon and in right. that moment having to be like, okay, I'll stay here with you. And there's such an emphasis in this book that beauty has consented to it. Yes, like it won't work if she doesn't Exactly, yeah. Part it. of the curse is that she has to be there without any obligation and mm-hmm. of her own accord. Yeah. And that was all very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think... But but ultimately, no, I'm not okay with it. I mean, it's <laughs> um, still like a story of imprisonment and like... Uh, marriage of one much 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 older man to a young woman yeah hundreds of years older and she's 18 yeah <laughs> when she first goes there yeah um i think the interesting piece that's present here is by mckinley making her because as far as i know this adaptation is the only one that makes the main character um less than exquisitely beautiful Mm. at least to start Mm -hmm. and then also it sets the story from her first person perspective um so we spend the book inside her head and experiencing all of her reactions to everything that's going on right um so we truly know her thoughts and feelings and we can see when she is comfortable with what is happening and when she is afraid Mm -hmm. um but it, it does, you know, ultimately it just comes back to like, if you love someone, even if it's to break a terrible curse and prevent yourself from dying, you don't keep them trapped. Mm-hmm. And this book does have the week that he lets her go, but it's under the condition that she come back. Well, I mean, he does like assume that she didn't come back, though, because if she wouldn't have, then I know, but I'm just, just I'm died. just saying he's still she's had too honorable to not come place. back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and also by that point, she loves him. So, yeah. And the the love is also just. Um, I don't know. It, it's a problem like it's painted as well. He is someone who can satisfy her like yearnings intellectually. For, literature and conversation mm-hmm. and something other than being, you know, a blacksmith's wife. It's example. a lot better deal than she would have been able to get anywhere else because she probably sure. otherwise would not have been able to be a scholar. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of emphasis on class throughout the book mm-hmm. um, because she comes from a wealthy merchant family that loses their wealth and has to uh, go live in a 
small town mm-hmm. in, in the countryside near the forest. Um, but it also just life sounds so much better <laughs> when they're in the small town. Yeah. Um, so I can't yeah, fully understand that part. Um, and I, I think that something I'm really fascinated by is that McKinley actually wrote another retelling of Beauty and the Beast that's called Rose Daughter. Um, later and it came out in 1997. Um, so almost 20 years later and it sounds like that one, like I haven't read it, but it sounds like it is a lot darker. Mm. Um, Cause this is probably the happiest Robin McKinley book I've ever read. Really, And that's why I think she's being so true to the fairy tale Mm. source material. Um, because everything progresses as it should and the conflicts are very expected and they're tied up really neatly and everyone ends up married. (laughs) It's one of those, like literally everyone's going to get married at the end stories with her dad, even getting in on the action. Yep. Um, and just the, the gentleness with which these plot points unfold, like it, it all feels very predictable and expected but in a comforting way Mm -hmm. and like I said the writing is so gorgeous that I don't really mind and I thought especially the way that beauty experiences the magic of the enchantment Mm -hmm. when she's in the castle was really cool um, because her vision begins to change as she becomes more aware of what's going on around her and she can sort of see the edges of where reality and fantasy are meeting Mm -hmm. and the exploration of that was really fun and I enjoyed that a lot Mm -hmm. um so yeah (laughs) anything else you want to say about old new impressions um no I mean I just the the fact that he wasn't physically or emotionally abusive was great for me you know feels like something you shouldn't have to even bring up but uh, yeah it was that was good (laughs) yeah I know it's the hard thing about Beauty and the Beast and the underlying story is like it's just always going to be bad because yeah I mean it's a story of like a prisoner falling in love with her captor who like has all the power in the dynamic yeah and it's just there's a um we've talked about Lindsay Ellis before but she has a really Mm. compelling video that is um from when the Beauty and the Beast live action or version the remake yeah. came out um that talks about the ways in which disney kind of tried to make the relationship feel more cool yeah. <laughs> than in the animated film and she also talks about how they lifted a lot of robin mckinley's work from this book yeah. so we'll link that on our website oh, i'm gonna rewatch podcast. that now that's a great one it's so good. We'll link it yeah. on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, so that you can check it out if you'd like. Check it out. Um, and I, I'm happy that this adaptation exists for sure. I mean, we've talked before about how much we love fairy tale adaptations. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the ones that we were huge fans of take things in a further direction from the original story than Mm -hmm. this did maybe. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, The, I I also should mention that in addition to the first version of Beauty and the Beast by um, Gabrielle Suzanne, there was a very popular um, abridged version that was 
ad- adapted more for a younger audience because the first one was for adults mm. um, by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont in 1756. And both of those stories have been kind of thought of as the original, <laughs> um, even though they're different versions and like kind of plot points from both have okay. been pulled through to some of our adaptations today. Interesting. Um, I never knew that this, or never really thought about the fact that this story was meant to prepare young girls for arranged marriage. And it, it clicks, though. That just makes so much sense. Yeah. It makes the whole story make more sense. Yeah. And the whole tradition of like animal grooms with human brides and different fairy tales and folklore. Um, because the groom is terrifying to the young bride and in many cases, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, I know that there's still people who go through this today, like very much so, but cannot even imagine being recently menstrual. Like you, you bleed, there you go. You're a woman. Now you can get married and start having sex and popping out babies. Um, and you are sold to a decades older man and you're just supposed to take care of him and take care of his babies and his household. Yep. I couldn't even take care of myself until I was like 25. So well, well past spinsterhood if we're talking oh, about yeah. this kind of thing. So oh yeah, you're a weird old maid in an attic. Yeah, of your brother's home maybe. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. So just just thinking about that and the way that the the people in that relationship are just completely like there's no room for intellectual or personal growth if that's what you're tasked with immediately. Totally. And here, here's the other piece of why the relationship feels a little more okay in this adaptation. I feel that beauty is given a full like coming of age arc mm. throughout the story. Yeah. Um, and the emphasis that we get um, most explicitly is on her physical form because mm-hmm. she finally literally grows seven inches um she matures physically and becomes more of an adult and Mm -hmm. what she feels like is uh the woman that she saw her sisters as but didn't see herself as yeah because she was younger but at the same time her perception of the world also alters dramatically Mm -hmm. um and she is able to spend time investigating her intellectual interests, um, Mm -hmm. studying French and Greek and Latin every morning and reading these books that have yet to be published. It's like the, you know, this world that isn't even available to anyone else becomes open to her. And it's something that she has always been fascinated by Mm -hmm. and interested in. And before she even goes to the castle, she's already beginning this process of, uh, becoming her adult confident self because she moves away from the city where she's been coddled and served and cared for Mm -hmm. and helps run a household with um, her two sisters and their husband. And it seems (laughs) the character I have the biggest problem with throughout is her dad, because it seems like once he loses his business, he's just just like useless. 
Welp. I mean, he becomes a carpenter, which we learn later. Um, but, you know, he, he, he definitely, even though it was totally his fault because he didn't save anything. Yeah. Um, when his ships all go missing, he definitely takes some time to just kind of crash and burn. Yeah, to just mope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And mope around while the women and Jer be yeah. one good man. <laughs> yeah. No, Robbie comes back too, I guess. I, I don't know. I, the, the men in this book aren't super important, I guess. Yeah, is which is fine. <laughs> They're plenty important elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I really liked getting to follow along with that process. And that also helps explain how she could maybe fall in love with the Beast. Mm-hmm. Because he is very... And yeah, we don't know his name either, so he'll continue to be the beast. Yeah. <laughs> He's woven into all of that, and he wants her growth. Like, he wants to, without her leaving the grounds, but he wants her to be able to do everything she wants to do and learn about the things she's mm-hmm. interested in. And the fact that they read aloud to each other afternoon is pretty adorable. Yeah. I definitely felt my heartstring tugging a little bit yeah. at that part. I was like, ah. Oh, Dang it. This is cute. Pretty cute. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So even though, yes, ultimately, like we have to classify him as abusive because he traps Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. He keeps um, her in the the place. I feel like McKinley did as much as possible to try to show him as supportive. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. So that was all. Yeah. I think pretty successful. But the conclusion here is this story is never going to be okay. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to say maybe we should stop adapting it. It would be fascinating if someone could come up with a version where it, it is, quote unquote, OK. I keep saying this, but it, that would have to remove the central romantic relationship. But also, would it be fun or to just see change the protagonist like, just head off? Right. Like change it enough where like, what if it's more like a damsel in distress gender flip where like the woman or whoever goes in to save the beast. Let's, let's do a queer version of this where it's two men or two women. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the one who goes into the castle situation knows something about the curse. And Mm -hmm. then like, you know, they end up falling in love where they're on equal footing. Totally. There we go. No, that would be awesome. And I, <laughs> as you're saying that, I was thinking, what if the, uh, you know, what if it stays in these uh, gender identities where the beast is a cursed man and mm-hmm. the protagonist is a woman who comes to his castle, but she knows about the curse from the start and she's like, you know, I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> But I'm gonna head out into the world and help find a match for you. And it's oh my gosh, I love that! Like a dating game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, what if there's a what if there's a cursed woman beast out there oh, somewhere who was them. also enchanted by the Sounds same Sounds kind of like a Patricia Reedy uh, plot, it totally doesn't does. it? <laughs> it totally does. That's uh, yeah. That sounds really fun. And then yeah. she can come and go as she pleases. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's what I would. Be Maybe into. she really loves horses and like she becomes their hostler. Do you think the terms of the curse are that? Like, why does he die when she leaves? Because um, I think it's because he found someone. Maybe the terms of the love. curse. Yeah. Like when he loves, if they don't love him back, mm-hmm. then he'll die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
but he had to like, and he just is very ham fisted about the love part. And he thinks like, Oh, if we get married, then we'll fall in love. So that's why right away he's like, well, might as well just be like, Hey, should we get married now? Socially? He does not do a great job. Oh, but I mean, he's been trapped alone in a castle for 200 years. So sure. Adding that time period that he has already been cursed also helps a lot. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. because especially in the Disney movie, there's such an urgency because the dang floating glowing rose right. is losing its petals. Yeah. Um, and it does so with such rapidity that it feels like it's only been like a month right. <laughs> since he was first cursed. Well, and in this one, like the beast is definitely more emotionally mature oh, than yeah. in the movie, but he's also like super awkward and just and like really morose. depressed. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. like he's Which makes so more sense. clearly depressed yeah. that it's, it's difficult for him to yeah muster up any kind of action or energy. Whereas in the movie, the Disney fied version, the beast is just kind of like a sullen child. God, like he so doesn't, awful. he's not mature at all. And he's just, and whenever he does have energy, it's just to rage. Yeah, he's just like, so (laughs) I'm a baby. I couldn't have welcomed the absence of that anger more in this book. Mm -hmm. And just being like, hey, there is no West Wing. Like, there is no area where he has to trash everything around him. Mm -hmm. Um, He just locks the door that one night to her room because he, like, all we get is him saying, like, I can't always behave prettily mm-hmm. um and so like if he does have an angry moment at least he is trying She's not to be private to about it. it yeah um yeah yeah <laughs> oh boy okay <laughs> um so i all that said should we talk about just like animals animals in this book, in this book? <laughs> so great heart is a horse <laughs> is great great heart is great thesis um greatheart is quote unquote given to beauty um by the uh, handler who says well if you take off without him he won't eat so yeah it's not a choice you gotta take him with you yeah uh, when they first lose their fortune and mm-hmm. are headed to the forest and greatheart is really impressive throughout the story he becomes fairly comfortable with the beast mm-hmm. which i think helps encouraged to bring back some of the beast's humanity because he hasn't been able to be near a horse right. in hundreds of years. And he loves horses. And loves horses. That was another piece. The beast, there's a few moments where the beast talks about trying to work on regaining his humanity. Like yeah. when he says that it took him a decade to learn how to walk like a man mm-hmm. again after he was first cursed, that shows so much more intent to try to be healthy mm-hmm. um, and hold on to his self then mm-hmm. I, I feel like yeah. the, especially the beast in the movie where it's just like, <laughs> right. Yeah. He's, a beast. he's a child, <laughs> literally a child. The, yeah, I don't, I did watch the, um, adaptation, the live action remake oh. on a plane, um, last year. And, uh, I thought, I mean, I thought it was weird, but, um, <laughs> They tried the way that they tried to make the beast feel more. I'm gonna say it again. Okay, for to be with, was to make him more. Um, instead of being furious, he was more just like petulant. It's like they did try to go back in this direction of a melancholy beast, but they didn't do it successfully, and he just like nags Bell all the time. Yeah, and that's not. <sighs> That's also like a super problematic real thing that happens. Exactly. So. Yeah. Also bad. <laughs> All bad. Nice brooding goth man. Like 
as if he treats you right, then he can do what he's going to do. If he's a jerk to you, I don't care what else he has going on. Like, just stop being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. And I also, I have to make a recommendation right now. This book reminded me so much of the film Crimson Peak. Oh my gosh. Um, you're totally right. <laughs> and Which is a movie that I love. I really um, love that movie. I think a lot of people haven't seen it because they were put off by the marketing, um, which was very untrue to what the movie actually yeah, is. The marketing so was stupid. It's truly a gothic romance mm-hmm. um, that is like a little spooky. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it, especially if you like this book. Um, there were so many moments. <laughs> took yeah, me, no, that's a good point. Took me right back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Robin McKinley loves horses, as we've mentioned. So we get a fully realized horse character <laughs> in each one of her books. And, you know, I, I wish that they were present in every fantasy tale because her horses, horses are great, are important. Yep. Yeah. Um, And then the birds who come and provide beauty with sort of a touch of her old life um, are really valuable because the castle is so eerie and quiet and empty Mm -hmm. and everything is silent and the birds bring a little life back to her. So those birds are also Mm -hmm. very lovely. Yeah, and we've discussed romantic realism already, but... I'll just reiterate, I think Robin McKinley does a really, really good job of creating a relationship between the Beast and Beauty that um, works at all. Yeah. Because there are moments that you do get swept up in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> even yeah. for us, where we're kind of coming back, at it from like, against that. Yeah, like, what, what's wrong with this? <laughs> like, yep, Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I'll always be impressed by her talent she mm-hmm. is yeah really definitely one of the one of our discoveries doing this podcast has been just what an incredible writer she is because it kind of went over our heads a little bit when we were in kidlands mm-hmm. yeah no definitely so i'm hungry you're hungry you know what time it is pretend food the pretend food in this book is very fun, but unfortunately not fully articulated to yeah. us. Because if you're going to put in magical enchanted feasts every night, but it's from first person perspective and the main character has no idea what any of the food right. is. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, you miss out. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with the pretend food, that's another area in which I could tell that this was Robin McKinley's first book Mm. because she's so loving with the way that she creates specific cuisines Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, drinks and entrees and things like that in uh, especially her Damar books. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this book, we don't get too much discussion of specifics. Um, The most love that we get with the food descriptions are for the humbler fare that takes place in the house where Beauty lives with her sisters and Jer and her dad. Mm. Um, And it all made me ravenous. Yeah, (laughs) especially just like the straight up potatoes and onions. I was like, I really want like a Spanish omelet now. Oh yeah. yeah, Nick made me, me a too. Spanish omelet for dinner the other night. Oh my gosh, and yeah, I that ate it so good, so hard. Um, <laughs> when when 
so when they're discussing beauty leaving, this is before she um, goes to the beast castle for the first time. Grace is cooking sliced onions and potatoes and beauty is kind of ruminating on how much she loves fried potatoes and onions and how she would have refused such a humble dish five years ago. If our cook could ever have thought of offering us such a thing, <laughs> I was like, no need to turn up your nose at potatoes. And that sounds great. I was cooking some onions and butter last night and I was like, there's not a better smell. Oh my God. No, there think. is. Oh, that smell. Oh my it gosh. Maybe the greatest sensory experience. The <laughs> sizzle, the scent. I, yeah, nothing better. The onions slowly growing brown. The cat sitting at your feet. Cats knocking each other over behind me. Um, and then tasty things like the cider that Beauty's family makes and I guess becomes known for because it's particularly good yeah. the year that she's away, or the six months she's away at the castle and they get a horse and name it Cider because it looks like cider colored. Um, and just the cozy like toasts with jam. There is one breakfast that I remember very well from when she's in the castle. I think it's her first breakfast and she wakes up from her ridiculous, you know, raised four poster bed, four post bed. Um, that's on a dais for some reason. <laughs> she smells hot chocolate and buttered toast. And I was like, okay, well, if there's anything that's going to get me out of bed, that's probably it. Hot chocolate and, and buttered toast, which, you know, I get. Most of the book I was feeling claustrophobic at the thought of everything moving into place around me and being given to me whenever I wanted it. Yeah. Um, I think that sounds really uncomfortable. And then if I ever left that environment, I would never be able to do anything right it yeah would ruin you yeah um but in that moment i was like oh why isn't there hot chocolate and buttered toast waiting for me when i wake <laughs> up next to a fire come on <laughs> these are simple things to ask for yeah um and there's also a cake that beauty particularly loves and asks for again at her magical dinners and she feeds the beast the cake because he's like i can't use my hands <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect maybe a, he probably you probably know, can use his hands trick. well i think that he's just like embarrassed to have her see him for sure eating cake with his like gnarly beast hands yeah and he doesn't want to look like he's slobbering right and slurping mm -hmm. and yeah. he's trying to make her see him as a human as yeah. much as possible mm -hmm. i get it there's a lot of self-consciousness there i feel that i also don't like eating in front of people i don't know very well it's it's interesting too because he and beauty are both like pretty self-conscious about the way that they're seen and i think that parallel is another piece of their relationship mm. that feels like i can understand why it they goes together closer yeah yeah her outer beauty becoming more prominent is kind of interesting because it's like she doesn't really she doesn't really get the chance to like change her self-image um at least physically but i think her inward image changes and then yeah. that's reflected and i think that's why she sees herself as looking beautiful yes. at the end yeah i think um, it's more about that and less just about her like fug being cured exactly yeah because yeah, i First of all, I don't think Robin McKinley would write that. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't think she ever was really 
just this plain person that she thought herself well, to be. She just, the beauty comes in a million different forms and she just wasn't totally. like ready to see herself as beautiful. I think the book does a good job of capturing that too, that mm-hmm. sentiment of like, hey, all these stories are so obsessed with talking about how gorgeous the women are. And at first mm-hmm. you feel like that's happening in this book because Grace and Hope get these descriptions of like mm-hmm. yellow ringlets and right. sparkling eyes and perfect waists and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I do think the message comes through that like the outward doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was impressed by that exactly. too. Because I'm really tired of descriptions of beauty. Yep. yep. <laughs> that is actually just one like white European idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that brings us to our badass lady meter where we pick badass our lady. badassest lady. Uh, Madeline, do you have a choice ready to go? This book doesn't have that many characters. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go with beauty instead of trying to be subversive. Um, (laughs) Whose real name is Honor, and her nickname is Beauty. And uh, I'm rating her the honor of sticking to your word regardless of anything that's going on just because it's important to you. Nice. Yeah, she... uh, is definitely true to what she promises. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's tough being saddled with a name honor and then a nickname beauty. Neither no. are ideal. Beauty is kind of an ironic name to start because she is joking about her name as a little kid and being like, I'd rather be called beauty if I have to yeah. be an attribute of some kind. Uh, and as someone who has a virtue for a name, yeah. I can say that it gets complicated sometimes. <laughs> and often if I meet a person who I can tell is religious, they're like, oh, really? What a name. When I tell them my name is Grace and it freaks me out. So, And Grace isn't even technically my name. So just should tell them your name is God. Leave you all with that tidbit, whatever it might mean. <laughs> it's not that mysterious. It's just my middle name. <laughs> Um, yeah, I am going to pick beauty also. Um, you know what? No, I'm not going to pick beauty. I'm picking grace. I'm picking the grace from this book. Um, because grace is sad for most of them. She's very sad. She is basically, you know, a haunted widow, um, because she's assuming that her betrothed has died. Yeah. But... She works real hard to get their new home in order. She cooks and takes care of the twins that Hope has, my God, Um, and keeps everything in order. And even though she has a suitor in the young local reverend, which sounds like, you know, a real, real ball of fun. Yeah. um, She stays true to her love, so she's also steadfast. Um, And, you know, Grace may not not be the most interesting character. Most of what we know about her is that she's hot and hardworking. But, hey, being hot and hardworking is nothing to frown on. No! (laughs) And as the oldest unwed sibling of the family, that comes with a lot of its own own stuff. And as the oldest unwed sibling of a family myself, (laughs) I can attest to that. So my rating for Grace is being magically reunited with Robbie within a day, even though we're told that it would be a six weeks, six weeks journey from the town. 
That just kind of happens in order to make the magical triple wedding take place. Uh Um, But I was just happy for her that she didn't have to wait any longer because it had already been six years, man, without so much as a text. Okay, so I think that wraps up our episode on Beauty by Robin McKinley. Again, Clarissa, thank you so much for the request. And thank you to everyone who has made a request. We have them all on our list. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone who has written in. Um, We haven't done a review request at the outset of the episode for a while because we haven't had any new requests from the U.S. iTunes Apple Podcasts store, but I learned recently how to see our reviews from other countries' Apple Podcasts. And we have so many, and mm. y'all are so amazing for reviewing us, and we feel like jerks for never giving you a badass lady. Really, really appreciate rating. it. Um, maybe we'll have a listener appreciation episode at some point where we give y'all a rating on the meter. Um, but in the meantime, thank you. Thank you. We'll announce our next book as we have gotten into the habit of doing at the very end of the episodes. It's a special little treat. And our next book is going to be Many Waters by Madeline Langle. A Madeline. A Madeline. Yeah, we had a grace this episode, a Madeline next episode. Um, Many Waters is a trip. I I, see it on your bookshelf behind you. (laughs) It's right behind my head right now. Um, I did an in-depth fifth grade book report project on it. So I'm really excited. really excited. It is a trip. It's yeah. a weird book. It's a weird book. Um, so yeah, stay stay tuned and that will be out in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to find us and connect with us, we're on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, and our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. You can send us a message there with any requests or thoughts. Or you can just email us directly at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. And our, as usual, the cover of the book plus any other media we discuss will be up on our website. So check it out if you're interested. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.